Well, good morning. You happy? Okay. Bacon and eggs, anybody so far? Coffeeed up, all that stuff. All right. Well, it's great to see you. And uh, you know what's cool about this is you're going to be the only people who, if you continue this pattern, can say you were at church every weekend of the year in 2013. And I know you're all going to make it. I just know it. <laughs> I don't think that was anybody's goal, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. Good to see you. We really, really fun. And uh, I'm really excited about these weekends where we have coming up just the next three because we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of, of 2013, some goals. I, I really do enjoy setting some goals. I was reading some things about New Year's resolutions and Pastor Bob alluded to it. But the kind of seemed like most of what I was reading was saying it's kind of fading out. People aren't making resolutions like they used to, and it's not, you know. I love fresh starts, n new clean piece of paper. So for me, it's it's a, the new year is just a great time to say maybe it's not a New Year's resolution because I, I understand, you know, if you joined the gym yesterday, at the end of January. It could be a challenge to continue to do. So I'm not for short-term fixes. But I do believe that the marathon idea of saying, what do I need in my life to do to reach my fullest potential in God? And that's what I'm asking about Timberline Church right now. And always at the new year, I kind of launch with where we're going, some updates about what happened last year, some of our accomplishments. So the next three weeks, you're going to hear some really exciting things and some things we did really well in, some things we need to do better in. But uh, thank you for just having 2012, maybe the greatest year we've ever had in our history. And I'll explain that. But I, I titled this message, Where Do We Go From Here? Now, how many of you have said that or something like that before? Where do we go from here? When do we usually say that? We, we usually say it when something's completed and, and we say, okay, where do we go from here? We often say it when there's a lot of confusion, like, oh no, I don't know what to do next. Where do we go from here? Like something bad has happened. How many of you are saying that right now because you have not yet taken your Christmas decor down? Yeah, okay. Bonnie and I had this big talk yesterday about, okay, we got to get all this down. This is a huge job. And it's like, why, at the end, do you ever think, why did we put it up? Because we just take it down. I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy how all that works. But where do we go from here? It's a fresh start. I've set some goals. Timberline Church is on a mission. We, uh, a mission to reach our community and our world with the love of Christ. And I, I can't remember a season when I've been any more excited about where we are as a church than, than right now. I mean that sincerely. God is raising us up for some amazing things. And I want you to, to just pull out your uh, tables in the mall sheet and turn it over to the, on the back side of that. And those of you in the South Auditorium do the same. I was just in there with worship with you guys. Amazing. Thank you for who you are and for being here. This sheet is going to be in your bulletin, your program for the next three weeks. And I, I would love for you to take this home and post it somewhere where you can just look at it once in a while. I'm going to ask you to take the time to read every word of it at some point this week. It's not long. It's about a 30-second read. But I want you to pay attention to what it says. A lot of time, energy, and thought has gone into putting every word in its right place. If we do this, we're going to change the world. I believe that. 
with all my heart. And so that's why I'm incorporating some of these purposes and values, the five peaks of Timberline, into my next three weeks worth of messages. So just keep that kind of in front of you. We're going to be reviewing them. But today I want to tell you a story. It's in John chapter 8. And before we go to point one, let me just briefly tell you the story, and then we'll outline it. It's a unique story about a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe she was literally drugged from the bed, in the linens from the bed, to the place where Jesus was, the temple, probably just outside the temple, and thrown at the feet of Jesus, right in front of the crowd, by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Now, these people were not followers of Jesus as we think of it. When I say religion or religious people today, I'm talking about, in the case of this text, these were legalists. They followed the law. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They're the ones who ended up getting him put on a cross. And so they are angry at Jesus. They're angry at the people who are following the teachings of Jesus because he's too kind to people. He's too gracious, and he takes the time to love people. And they don't have time for that. So a lot happens in this story that we want to talk about in relationship to our behavior patterns as a church. Now, I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to confront some of you today. This message is going to confront a legalist spirit. It's going to confront some of our habits, patterns, even our lifestyles. And I want you to be open to it. I don't want you to just write it off. I want you to say, God, talk to me. Because I'm convinced that many people who have walked with God a long time, if they're not careful, they are bored in their Christian walk. And they've become a little apathetic in where they really are and where they really should be. And I want to try to stir that out of you today. Okay? So be open to that. Number one thing I want you to write down is this. What will motivate me to keep learning and growing? Are you going to be a learner? Are you really growing in your faith, in your theology, in your knowledge of God, in your relationships? All of those are godly things. That's a big question to ask. And I, I want you to wrestle through it. In John chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. That always happened when Jesus taught because he taught different than some of the other teachers of his day. He had authority. And he sat down and he, what? Taught them. Why is he teaching them? Does he want them to know something new? Does he want them to learn? If you read the New Testament, the Gospels, I'd love for you to just make a note every time it says Jesus taught them. Here's why this is important. Teaching is important to God. Learning is important to God. It is not just so you can become more educated. It's so that we can become more Christ-like. And I've been in churches, and I'm haunted by this, and I'm saying this as honest as I know how, where is a teaching environment the same thing as a learning environment? <laughs> it's so funny when I ask a question, many of you just kind of go, it's a trick question. I'm not going to shake my head. I'm not going to, he's trying to get me. I know he's trying to trick me. I'm not. It's a really serious question. Because I have been in teaching environments where learning wasn't happening. Right? You ever been to a lecture? Some guy's going off or some gal's going off, just, um, they, and they know stuff. And it's like, wow. You walk out going, they're brilliant. Well, what'd they say? I don't know, but they're brilliant. 
didn't understand a thing they said. That isn't, that isn't the best form of teaching. Jesus taught people and they learned. And, and our environment here needs to be a learning environment. So we're, we're working hard on that. And we're going to stretch you this year with some things that we want to teach and we want to have us learn together. One of our core purposes that's on that sheet I allu alluded to earlier is the Love Teaches Peak. And it says this, nurturing the ongoing transformation of people into the likeness of Jesus. We want to nurture that transformation of your mind, heart, body, soul, spirit to be like Jesus. Number two in your outline, how will we respond to those trapped in sin? The story starts to heat up a little bit here and we get a little action and Jesus has to make a response in a moment. But the theological question is, how are we going to respond to people, both individually, personally? You have anybody in your family that commits a sin once in a while? You have anybody trapped in sin that you know? How do you treat them? How do we as a church respond to people who enjoy sin, who are caught in sin, who are trapped by sin? What is our response? That's what this says. Verse 3. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, these were high-strung legalists who were brilliant, okay? Follow the law. They brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. See, what I want you to see here is that the religious, in the legalist sense, always delight in catching people in their sin. It's almost like, Gotcha. Gotcha. You didn't get away with it, did you? We got you. Your hands in the cookie jar. And there's almost a delight in the reality that we got you. You didn't get away with it. See, that's what God does. He exposes your sin. Now, some of that's true. God can expose our sin. But that's not the heart that Jesus had. These Pharisees wanted to make an example out of her. They wanted to humiliate her. They threw her right in front of the crowd. But they were not interested in real, true justice. How, how would we know that by looking at this text? Where's the guy? Oh, he just slipped away. We don't know where he went. They didn't want justice. They wanted death. They wanted exposure. They wanted shame. They wanted humiliation. And this poor woman was stuck there at the end. One of our core values in that same sheet, it says, we value being respectful of people's journey. Can you be respectful of a journey that's filled with sin? It's a big question. I may not respect the lifestyle or the journey, but can I respect the person because they're made in the image of God? Does God have a plan for people who are trapped in sin? Did he have something in mind when he created them? Go like this. Yeah, please. He really did. They're not reaching their potential. They're stuck in sin. It, it, it breaks the heart of God, and it should break our hearts as well. But we can respect and love people who are trapped by sin. Listen, we can and should be angry at sin. I'm not soft on sin. You guys should know that about me after all these years. But we must understand that people caught in sin need the Lord in their life or they will not change. They will not change. Our question is not, now this is going to shock some of you, so hang on. Don't misquote me, but this is what I want to say. Our question is not, 
How can we get them to stop sinning? Where does sin start? Is sin the physical act of adultery? Is sin when you finally take something from the store that doesn't belong or you steal something? Is sin when you rob a bank? Where does sin start? Sin starts right in the mind and right in the heart. And it happens, and you cross a line before you physically violate that moment. And Jesus knows that. That's why you can pass all the laws you want to keep people from sinning, and they won't stop sinning. Now, does that mean I wish we would have no laws that stop sin? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that isn't what we should be about. What we should be about is presenting people to the Lord and bringing them to a place where Jesus is so that he has a chance to get in their life because if they get Jesus, they have a chance to stop living in sin. So as a church, somehow we rally around this idea that says, I can't get anybody to stop sinning. But if I get Jesus into their life, and if I journey with them out of respecting them and loving them where they are, they have a chance to live free of an addicted lifestyle because of who God is, not because of who we are. That takes a lot of pressure off of us, and it puts a different kind of pressure on us. Will we respond? Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still, say it with me, sinners. Wow. I don't get cleaned up first and then I get Jesus. Jesus helps clean up my life. Number three, it gets worse. How will we answer the difficult question? How are we gonna answer the difficult question? This is complex, because we need answers. And Jesus was going to really be in a dilemma here. In verse 4, they came to him and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now there's a trick question. Because they know if he says, forget the law, he's in trouble. They also know if he says, Killer, that's not what his mission has been up to this point. They see a completely different behavior pattern in him. So they know he's not going to say that. So what is he going to say? So they're trying to trick him. Have you, ever, have you ever said something that you just wish you could take back so bad? You know what I mean? The open mouth, insert foot idea. I, 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 I love the Jeff Lucas story. I mean, he, he, he just, he's shared this before, so I'm not being rude by telling you this, Okay. Um, he, he and Kay had some good friends in England and, and they were, their friends were very pregnant. She was very largely pregnant. And uh, they had had the baby about three days before, but Jeff didn't know it. Do you remember this story? And Jeff walks up to her, and here's the thing that makes me laugh and what I harass him about all the time, is that she was pushing the baby in a stroller. <laughs> And he walks up to her, and they see each other out in a public place, and, and he says, he calls her by name and says, because he looks at she's still very large, and he says, so no baby yet, huh? And she's like, right there. And Jeff's like, boom, I'm dead. I, don't, I just, 
right? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a horrifying feeling when you say something and you just go, I wish I hadn't said that. Can I say, as people who walk with God, who are trying to change the world, could we be careful about what comes out of our mouth? In moments when we are frustrated at sin, we are frustrated at our culture, we are frustrated at our country, but we have to be careful what comes out of our mouth. We have to be careful about what's going on in our lives. I want you to have an answer. I want you to be able to give good, solid answers because you have learned, you have gained in your knowledge, and so have I. And we together say, we have a good answer for that. Next weekend, we're launching something called Engage. We bought the rights to do this so we could equip you. We're taking discipleship to a whole nother level at Timberline. And I'm so excited for this because all I'm asking you to do this week is go put, go build a personal profile on the Timberline website. It takes 30 seconds, literally. All you have to do is put an email address and a password and you're, you have a profile, okay? Now, if you do that, then next week, Pastor Brent's gonna come up here and he's gonna walk us through on the screens how you tap into this app called Engage. Engage is a personal discipleship program that's tailor-made for your life. You answer a t about a 20-minute questionnaire and it's detailed and it will push you. Even the questions will push you. Be brutally honest because it won't help you if you're not honest. No one else sees the answers to your questions. It's not stored here in our database or anywhere. But then it builds you a personal profile Bible study with 12 categories of videos to watch, books to read, Bible passages to read, forgiveness issues to deal with, all kinds of things that you pick and choose, programs, seeking out someone to help you, and it's tailor-made. I mean, when I started doing this, because we've done a pilot program with us, I was like, man, it knew I was a dad, it knew I was married, it knew I had this, it knew I had this struggle, it knew that I fought with this, it knew that I had this strength, it knew, and it's challenging me in all these areas. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to have this opportunity to grow because some of you walk with God so long, you don't know what to do next. And I've been there. It's hard to say, I just don't know if I'm growing. I don't know how am I changing. We want to bust through that, okay? So please take note of that. Don't miss that. Number four in your outline. Will we remember our own history? Now, Jesus is going to do something that could have gone wrong. This is a little tricky what he does. And we have to be careful with it, and we can't just use this as a tactic. But you'll see how he does it. Will, will we remember our own history? Verse 6. They were trying to trap him. That's very important that you know that. They were there deceiving him, and he knew it. They wanted him to say something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. I think things got really quiet in that moment. Because those guys automatically had to start analyzing and evaluating where they really were and what their history included. It's easy for us who've walked with God for a long time to forget what it feels like to be lost, disconnected from God. 
And that's why we can become so judgmental toward those who are not connected to God. And Jesus is pushing that button. Let those who have never sinned cast the first stone. I don't know what he was writing in the sand. Um, someone suggested that it was uh, the names of these guys' girlfriends. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he was just doodling in the sand or if there was something meaningful there or if he was drawing a picture that meant something. I don't know. I think it was more what he said. And, and the big thing is he was willing to be silent and not jump to a big answer. And sometimes listening and paying attention, sometimes we speak the loudest when we don't speak at all. And that's hard for us, especially if you're passionate about justice and righteousness. But we need to pay attention to how we respond. Sometimes I'm very challenged by people who have followed Christ for years and they're well-meaning Christians who love God with all of their heart. There's no question about that. But that's exactly how these guys were. They had done everything by the law. This group around Jesus thought the answer. Now this is shocking, it's startling, but I want you to get this. They honestly believed the answer was to kill her. Right? She needs to die. She's caught in the act of adultery. We should kill her. Now that just pushes Jesus up against the wall that he's not ready to have that happen. Thank God. And he handles this really delicately. But it's amazing to me because misplaced anger about sin causes me to want to destroy people instead of sin and the behaviors. And how I go about this matters. And right now, you guys, I'm, I'm just being as gut honest as I know how. Our culture, there's a mess our country, there are challenges, there are issues we have to face that are not easy to face. And if we're not careful, bitterness and anger and resentment is going to fill our hearts. And our response is going to be hateful, not helpful. And when you just fight back with more power, it's not going to change people who live in sin. So we've got to find a way to honor God with what we say and what we do. Will I weep for the loss? Am I interceding for the loss? Am I interceding for this country? Am I weeping over the sins of a nation? That's a big question. Or am I just angry and ventful and I just want to fix it? Listen to what the Bible says. This is not on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. Romans 3, 21. But now God has shown us a way to be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. All have fallen short of the glorious standard God has set. Yet God with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus, who freed us from the penalty of our sins. Can you say thank you, God? That's us. I want us to remember that. Our righteousness is as a filthy rag. Now, the story, number five in your outline, we see the response of the crowd, and it's very interesting. 
we must present hope. That's, that's point five. I'm saddened by sin. I'm saddened by cultural changes, acceptances that shouldn't be accepted. I get all that. But we still have to present the hope of God. Verse nine. When the accusers heard this, <laughs> the part about if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. What's that about? Is that like the wise dude? <laughs> the minute Jesus said, those of you without sin cast the first stone, the old guy goes, forget that. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm done with this. I know my life. I know my history. Wow. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. I believe hope is a better motivator than fear. I, I grew up in different segments of my life. I, I, I grew up going to church probably four times a week. We had Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Tuesday night prayer, Thursday night discipleship, Wednesday night youth group, so that's five. No wonder I'm warped. <laughs> I was at church, I grew up in church. And I can honestly tell you, I'm thankful for that heritage. But I also heard a lot of sermons that tried, and I say this not in a cuss word, tried to scare the hell out of me by, by, by scaring us. And I can remember times when I just wanted to run to the altar because I didn't want to go to hell. But the problem is fear as a motivation doesn't last forever. Love does. I want people to run toward God because they know what he did for them not run toward God because he know, they know what he can do to them. Big difference. I, uh, I think we need to get people to look at the horizon instead of straight what's down in front of me. I was on the farm. I tell you farm stories. Last few months, I've told you quite a few. My grandpa and grandma's farm in Kansas. And I just had this reflection of this great teaching. Well, my grandpa was an amazing man. He used to always uh, have this challenge for all of us you know, grandkids, a lot of grandsons, and, and we would show up at the farm to help buck hay and stuff for two or three weeks at a time in the summer, and he had this big alfalfa field, and he got this big barrel one year, it was like probably five or six feet tall, 13 feet long, 12 feet long, and he said, by the end of this time that you're here, I want you to be able to stand on that barrel and walk it all the way down to the bottom of this alfalfa field. So we're on this barrel, you know, learning out. It's a wonder we didn't die. He was trying to kill us. I know now. He, he just... I can't believe the stuff we did. Well, this one year, he had this log that he put across the river. And this is a pretty big river. It's not like, you know, going fast. It's a slow-moving river, so it's not dangerous. We swam in it. We're always barefoot. Of course, there's water moccasins in there. What was he thinking? I would never. Anyway, um, just a farmer guy. Just go do it. Get it figured out. Walk across the log. And, and in some places, it was very thin. It was shaky and limber. And I remember starting out across there and falling in the river and trying it again and falling in the river. And, try, and, and we were all, you know, all of us cousins, and we're looking, and we figured out that if you look down at the log and it starts shaking, but if you look up and you look at the horizon, balance happens. 
A balance beam expert doesn't watch the beam during the routine. They simply know it's there. And sometimes in our world right now, we have people, Christians especially, they're looking straight down at the sin and the issue and the culture and the country and the nation and the problems and the money. And, the, and it's just they're shaking and they're quivering and they're angry. I just want to say to you, lift up your head. God's not really scared. We have a God who is bigger than all of that. And he has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for our country. He has a plan for the world. And I trust that. I trust that. And I'm going to pursue him, and I want to make a difference, and I want my life to count, and I want this church to matter. We have to do it in a way that loves people and leads people to the truth about who God is. Last thing, number six, we will walk in the freedom of Christ. I'm so thankful for this, you guys. We will walk in the freedom of Christ. Last thing in the story, it says this, and Jesus said <laughs> about condemning her. He says, where are your accusers? He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. There are three things that happen in that little sentence. He's saying, I don't want my foot on your neck pressing shame onto you. I'm not here to condemn you. So he pulls back from that. Then he says, go. If there's nothing else you remember about this sermon, please remember this. Some of you, you know what? You're stuck because you stay at the scene of the crime. This addiction, this habit, this relationship, this filth that you all are around in, you need to get out of there. You need to stop talking to that person. You need to change this lifestyle. You need to change this habit. You need to stop drinking, some of you. There are issues in your life where you need to go. You need to move from this place, the, the place that hinders you, the place of shame, the place of entrapment, the place where Satan drug you, you need drug you to. You need to go. You need to leave that place. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go. And thirdly, Stop doing this sin. Don't do this again. Say, well, it's easier said than done. You know, I'm not buying that. I'm buying the fact that we live in a world where the strength of the Holy Spirit is greater than the enemy in this world. And if you're serious and you want to make a commitment to follow God, then you're going to make that commitment and you're going to walk it out. You're going to walk it out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this precious woman who you loved who you cared for. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I'm overwhelmed by it. Thank you for being a gracious God. We know judgment comes. We know there's a day of judgment. Lord, you've chosen us to live in, a, in an era right now where your grace is being offered. And we are grateful. Help us as a church, as individuals, to, to put that out there, that people will run toward the grace of God. Show us how to make these corrections in our own theology, our own lives. Show us how as a church we can make a difference in the world. Some of you need to come to Jesus. 
this woman did not want to be there. Hear what I'm about to say. They drug her there. Do you know that sometimes when you hit the bottom, that's being drugged to Jesus. If you're at the bottom right now, you're in a really good place because Jesus is always at the bottom and he'll meet you there. Some of you came to faith when you were at the bottom. But some of you are not at the bottom and trust me, you don't want to have to go there to meet Jesus. You can meet him right now and you can make a willful decision to follow him with the rest of your life. He's knocking on your heart. And if sin is keeping you out, and you just want to say, I want to follow you, Lord. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to lift you up from this place of shame and embarrassment and call you to a higher road. He's a plan for your life. Just tell him right now, forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. I'm sorry. That's what this is all about. New birth. She was brought to Jesus to die, and she walked away to live. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Secondly, some of you are judgmental. You're legalists. I don't even know who you are. I'm not thinking of anybody. But I'm, if, if you're prompted out of conviction by the Spirit to say, I have some of that in me and I, I've got to deal with that today, then do it. Change your tone. Be careful what you say. Be careful who you're becoming. Be careful what's making you fearful and reactionary and be a man be a woman of God be a young person that has the grace of Jesus in your life and your eyes and you engage people in conversations even if you disagree with them even if you hate the sin they are committing some of you need hope I would just, I'd like to ask you if you just know you're in a place where you need the light of God, you need to lift up your head. All you see is the log that's about to break and you're about to go in the river. Just, you need hope today. I want to pray over you specifically. Would you just lift up your hand, whatever it is? God bless you. Lord, I pray for hope that you bring. Faith, hope, and love. These are the greatest. Those are the things that keep us eternally in your arms. So let hope be powerful among my friends today. And let them know you're a serious God with a serious mission. And thank you for putting us together to do this together. We're not here by accident and we know that. And in these next few weeks, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would shake us, that you would confront us, that we would sign up to learn, that we would be learners, that we would be growers, that we would somehow come to a place where we get it and our eyes are open. And that you will be the God of hope in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for assembling us. Thank you for the relationships in these rooms, the love, the care for Timberline Windsor, for Old Town, for our packed churches. Thank you, God, for the network you're building here to make a difference in the world. I don't understand it all, but we wanna be obedient to it and serve it. We take it seriously for the glory of God. And everyone said, Amen. I would like our prayer team to come. They're up here to pray with you, to encourage you, to just take a hand and walk you through anything you need. So please let them pray for you. Lord, thank you for this time that we have been challenged. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for this woman who was set free. We can't wait to know her and meet her in heaven. 
and hear from her what it was like to not be condemned, but to be released to go and sin no more. Send us out of here, not to sin, but to love, to care, to nurture, and to, wo- to bandage the wounds of those who are lost. We thank you in your precious name. To God be the glory. Everyone said amen. Remember the service starts now. Go make a difference. I love you. God bless you. Thanks for coming to Timberline.